Welcome to the Sentinel of Liberty Arctic Adventure Special. I'm Grant Richter, and I'll be your host as we explore Captain America's role in a winter wasteland war. Today's exciting adventure comes to us from War of the Realms Strike Force, The Land of the Giants. Written by Tom Taylor, penciled by Jorge Molina, inked by Adriano Di Benedetto, colored by David Curiel, lettered by VCs Joe Sabina, and edited by Will Mox. So grab a magic battle axe, your winter parka, a thermos of coffee, and your Captain America Dakota ring as we jump into action. Now, before we get into the stories themselves, I wanted to go into the idea behind the Arctic Adventure special. Even though this is coming out during the holiday season, I didn't want to exactly make it a holiday special. Um, we're not particularly religious in our house, um, and even though we celebrate kind of a secular version of Christmas with the trees and the lights and the presents and the Santa Claus decorations and all that, and we happen to do it on December 25th, we don't really do the religious aspect of Christmas. And I so I thought about just making it kind of a, a like carte blanche holiday special, but I couldn't find any holiday-related Captain America content, even though I'd really like to have some. And if any of you out there, hi, Michael Kaiser, knows of any holiday Captain America content, please point me in the right direction or hook me up. Because if there's a story where Captain America saves Santa Claus from Arnim Zola or something, I would love to read it. And honestly, I need something to talk about in next year's special. So when I knew it wasn't going to be holiday themed, you know, I was definitely just going to make it winter themed. And if it was going to be winter themed, I knew it had to be the Arctic Adventure special. I absolutely love the winter. I know a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't like the cold um, and get seasonal affective disorder from the lack of sunlight. But I think it's fantastic. I grew up in the Midwest. I've always run kind of hot anyway. So, you know, I became very acclimated to the cold very quickly. And during the winter months, I usually had pneumonia at least once a year because it was just about impossible to get me inside uh, during the winter, even though it was just about impossible to get me outside during the summer. And, um, you know, I grew up in on a house that had a pretty decent sized yard out in the middle of nowhere. And my grandmother on my father's side actually lived on a farm even further out in the middle of nowhere. And I usually spent the second half of winter break at her house anyway, usually from Christmas Day until New Year's Eve. And so if it snowed during that time, I was out in it, you know, from you know, as soon as I could until it got dark. You know, I was always playing, you know, Arctic adventure out in the snow. And very quickly, I came to favor uh, those toys that had kind of an Arctic or snow or ice or frost theme. I wasn't really in the, <clears throat> excuse me, I wasn't really in the G.I. Joes as a kid, but... One of the first ones I had was Snow Job, the, the Arctic Trooper. Um, I had him. I had the snowmail that came out around the same time that he did. I later got uh, Iceberg. I have the Polar Vipers. I even had that little suit of armor the, from like Wave 1 or Wave 2 that you could snap on around the Cobras. That, and, and because it was white, I kind of interpreted it as being Arctic themed. So I had all those. Um, as I got older in like my late teens and early 20s, 
and like the, there was like a Batman toy line and a Spider-Man toy line and an X-Men toy line. I didn't get a whole lot of those either, but I always went out of my way to get the Arctic ones. So I had the like Arctic Blast uh, Batman and Arctic Assault Cable and, and all that. And I, I just think they're a lot of fun. And like later on when I started playing Morrowind, if you're not familiar with that, that's kind of like two games before Skyrim in the Elder Scrolls series. And I you know, played that game forever and I beat it. And I got the expansion pack where you spend all of your time up in like the polar north fighting like ice monsters and werewolves and stuff. And I played that to death. So I've always had a thing for Arctic themed stuff. So when I found out that there was a story where my favorite superhero runs in around in an Arctic variation costume with a magic axe fighting frost giants, I knew that had to be the story I was going to cover for the Arctic Adventure Special. Now, I like this story on multiple levels. It's not just that it's a really good story, but publishing-wise, it addresses one of my biggest problems with a lot of the big modern-day events in that it's relatively self-contained. Now, you do have to be somewhat familiar with what was going on in contemporary Marvel building up to it, and we will talk about that shortly. But once you get into the miniseries itself, you know, again, I only have, as of right now, this is December 4th that I'm recording this segment, I only have access to 1 through 4 because I read through Marvel Unlimited, but so far I've been able to read straight through with no breaks in the story. And one of the big problems I have with uh, 21st century big summer comic book events is that isn't always the case. The probably worst example of this I can think is Infinite Crisis, which came out from DC in, I think, 2007. And I remember reading it, and I wasn't reading a lot of DC at the time. I read a lot of DC in the early 2000s, like between Teen Titans and Outsiders and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I'd kind of started to peter off you know, after like 2006, but I jumped back in for Infinite Crisis. And so I picked up issue one and it was fine. And I think it was the end of issue two ends with a cliffhanger. And so I was like, okay, you know, like, I can't wait to find out what happens next. So a month later I pick up, let's just say issue three. And I found out that the cliffhanger had been resolved in the monthly tie-in books. So, you know, whatever happened at the end of the cliffhanger happened maybe in Superman or Wonder Woman or Justice League or something. And then the events moved on. And then the events after that picked up in issue three. So I was pretty cheesed. Um, you could figure out from context clues what was going on, what had happened, but it was like picking up every other issue of a monthly book. You could figure it out, but it's not the same. Now, still, with any big event, uh, the comic book companies are going to want to get the most money out of their customers, so they're always going to have ancillary titles, whether it's the continuing story in a monthly book or the, whether it's a smaller miniseries that ties into the bigger miniseries or a bunch of one-shots. And that happens here in War of the Realms. There are stories that take place outside of the main, the main mini, but they don't affect the main mini, which I think is great. Like I said, so far I've read through 1 through 4. It's no problem. However, if you read the ancillary material, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the main story if you don't read them, but it adds layers of depth to it. It reminds me of, like, say if you're playing Skyrim, you could just go through and play, like, the Dragonborn uh, story arc, and you'd be fine. 
but if you go and do all the other guild things too, it makes the world that you're playing in so much richer. And that's kind of what happens with this. Um, you know, there's the main monthly titles, and they all have things that the main miniseries is affecting the monthlies, not the other way around. And there's three one-shots, all um, titled War of the Realm Strike Force. Um, you have uh, War Avengers, which of which Captain Marvel's the main character. I forget the title of the one where they go uh, attack the the bad guys. Well, uh, the back, the bad guys' transportation system. We'll talk about that later. And then you have the one that we're going to discuss here, which is Land of the Giants. And so when we get to it, you'll see that Land of the Giants isn't something you have to read to get the main miniseries. But if you read it, it makes the same story in the main miniseries so much more compelling. Now, I should say that if you, if you are a reader of current Marvel and you just haven't read War of the Realms yet and you plan on it, I would go do that first before you finish listening to this. But if you haven't read it, you don't really plan on reading it, but you are curious as to what happens, you're in the right place. For those of you that don't keep up with current Marvel comics, I feel like it might be a good idea to kind of go over some of the things that have been building up to War of the Realms and then the things that take place in the War of the Realms up to Land of the Giants. Now, Jason Aaron has been laying the groundwork for War of the Realms for six years since the Marvel Now era of Marvel started and Jason Aaron first started his first Thor title. And they are myriad, but not all of them really affect everything that's going to be discussed in Land of the Giants. Uh, what you need to know is that Malekith, uh, for those of you that are fans of Walt Simonson's Thor, you'll probably remember him, has organized an army. It's made up of the Dark Elms of Svartalheim, the Frost Giants of Jotunheim, the Fire Demons of Muspelheim, um, the, the Trolls of Nividal whatever the realm is that the dwarves and the trolls come from, Nadilavir, and the warrior angels of the tenth realm of heaven, H-E-V-E-N. That is something else that Aaron established during his run is the tenth realm. And they've also teamed up with Roxxon on Earth. And over the past several years worth of books... Basically, Malekith has been pulling the army together, and they've been invading the various realms. They uh, conquered, they invaded Asgard, they invaded uh, Vanelheim, they invaded um, Alfheim, the realm of the Light Elves, they invaded Navilladir, anyway, the Dwarf Realm, whose name I can never remember, and they pretty much laid waste to all those areas. Um... All the gods of Asgard are heading out on Earth, and basically, the war, as the series opens, the war has come to Earth. In the open, in the first issue of War of the Realms, everybody, all the bad guys attack Earth. The superheroes of Earth get together. They're fighting them mostly in New York. Thor is tricked by Malekith into going to Jotunheim, where he is then attacked and captured by a whole lot of frost giants. In issue two, the heroes manage to evacuate pretty much the entire population of New York 
to Avengers Mountain. And if you're not reading Jason Aaron's current Avengers series, Avengers Mountain is the body of an inert, frozen celestial up in the Arctic. So they're there, and Lady Freya organizes three teams of heroes um, for different purposes. She has Captain Marvel organize the majority of the heroes on Earth to pretty much hold the line. Freya herself leads a team of like Punisher and Ghost Rider and She-Hulk and Blade and somebody else. And they go after the Black Bifrost, and that is Malekith's version of the Rainbow Bridge that he uses to teleport his army from realm to realm. And then she has Captain America put together a team to go rescue Thor. And Captain America gets Wolverine, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, uh, and Spider-Man. And they go to Jotunheim after Thor. And we see the condensed version of their adventure in War of the Realms number 3. Basically, they go to Jotunheim, they have a bunch of flying horses, they fight a bunch of frost giants, they get to Thor. That is the Cliff Notes version. And like I said just a bit ago, what we're going to what we're going to discuss now, Land of the Giants is the more in-depth and detailed version of that. And like I mentioned in the uh, the very opening. This is written by Tom Taylor. If you're not reading anything by Tom Taylor, whether you're a, a Marvel person or a DC person, you really need to go read his stuff. I don't read a lot of DC, but my understanding is that his um, uh, the series based on that fighting game, whatchamacallit, anyway, um, it's supposed to be really, really good. All New Wolverine, the one with uh, Laura Kinney was outstanding. His current uh, friendly, neighbor, friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man series is really, really good. In fact, that combined with this here is what has got me reading now more Spider-Man than uh, at once than I've ever read in my life. But Taylor can do this amazing thing that even though Aaron is a great comic book writer... Tom Taylor is just a little bit better because Jason Aaron can take a story and he does great long-term storytelling. He does really good characterization. He does really good action. He does all this great stuff. And Tom Taylor does all that, but can also make you cry. So just warning, uh, the first time I read through this, um, I did have the sniffles and the moist eyes. Uh, if I do get a little bit choked up while I'm going through it, I apologize. Uh, I'm just that kind of person. I, I can never resist a good epic uh, man cry. But let's jump in now to War of the Realm Strike Force, Land of the Giants. The cover to Land of the Giants is just astounding. It has the five heroes of the story, not really standing together, but it's more of a metaphorical representation of the five of them together. It has Iron Fist in the very foreground. And then over his regular costume, he has this fur uh, cape, and he has a sword over his shoulder. And the sword has a thing that looks a lot like the Iron Fist emblem worked into the hilt. Uh, Luke Cage has a warhammer. Uh, Wolverine in his, he's not in costume Wolverine, it's like uh, street clothes Wolverine is shot full of arrows, and he's got his claws out, and he's running toward the reader. Spider-Man's jumping around in the background, and he's got a horned helmet and a shield, and then Captain America's in the very front, 
in his winter outfit. He's got his shield slung over his back, and he's holding Thor's magic hammer, Yarnborn. They're all in front of a mountain range with the northern lights uh, flaring in the sky and the stars sparkling brightly, and then a pair of winged horses flying around. It's just beautiful. I'm a, I don't read novels as much as I used to. Uh, now that I used to, but when I did, I was a huge fan of fantasy novels back in the day where what I read while I was waiting for the next set of comics to come out of the shop. And now that there's Marvel Unlimited, I really never run out of comics. But every once in a while, I have to take kind of a mental sorbet and just take a break from comics for a week or two. And I always fall back on fantasy. I just love things like this, just the bright lights and the magical energy. And oh, yeah, and you, have, you should also see like the rainbow bridge going through it. So it's just these bright, wonderful colors. And back in you know, my youth, I was all about the grim dark. But now I'd, I, you know, give me like rainbows and unicorns and I'm perfectly happy. So this is just a stunning cover. The issue opens with Spider-Man on top of Avengers Mountain looking out over the Arctic and remembering the horrors of war in New York. And Spider-Man is really just overcome with, with grief and shock. And even though this is the Captain America podcast, this story is not Captain America-centric. He you know, is in it quite a bit. But this mostly is about Spider-Man, and I have to say, Jorge Molina's Spider-Man is just gorgeous looking. Um, just the way, you know, and I know it's an artistic convention to have the eye, the eye holes move and something that's kind of been justified with the, uh, with the MCU movies. But just, you know, the way the isolates narrow when he's got his hand over his face and he's kind of grimacing in, like, emotional pain. And then uh, he hears someone say Spider-Man from behind him and he turns around and goes, Gah! And then it's just, like, you have one eye slit kind of, one eye hole kind of still in a slit and the other open wide in surprise and shock. And it just looks really great. And that's when we get our shot of Captain America. And I love... I love, love, love Captain America's winter costume. Now, it's it's not spandexy at all. It's, it looks like, honestly, a pair of blue jeans or maybe BDU pants, for those of you that have been in, like, a military or paramilitary uh, career before. And he has these really heavy-looking boots, and he's got this big winter parka. Uh, so the pants are kind of a lighter denim blue. The boots are a darker red than you usually see him with. The jacket is kind of a royal blue and it's got like a big star right on the chest but it doesn't have the red and white stripes across the the abdomen it's got these big it, it's not like big 90 shoulder pads but that is definitely shoulder guards i would say and then the uh the jacket has uh, like a fur collar and cap is holding yarnborn in one hand and i love everything visually about this book but my one criticism is I don't like the way Melina does Cap's face. I don't know what it is. And there are scenes where, and there are parts where Cap looks really cool, especially in close-ups. But when it's just kind of middle distance, um, Cap kind of has like a blank stare about him. And I don't know. I, I don't know if that's Taylor not having written a lot of Captain America and doesn't really know how to write him emoting or if it's Melina not really getting the feel of Cap, because 
uh, I think Captain America is a hard character for people to get right, honestly. But overall, the design is really, really cool. So Cap is telling Spider-Man, look, you know, I'm putting this team together. I know you're hurting, but I really need you. And Spider-Man goes, what's with the axe? And Cap says, this was Thor's axe when he was young. It is called Yarnbjorn. And Spider-Man says, ah, I had a stuffed bear when I was young. It was called Fuffles McGee. Probably not as significant. I love the dialogue in this. It's so great. So, uh, remember, um, Spider-Man is way up on top of the mountain. And he, uh, he asked Cap, when I asked you what you were actually doing here, I meant more, how are you here, up here on top of the mountain? And Cap goes, follow me. And Spider-Man goes, sure. And we get a close-up of Spider-Man's face, but the eye hole's really big. And he goes, oh. And then there's a winged horse. And it's beautiful. And I love the armor on it. And it's like this gleaming white. And it's in front of the sky with the northern lights in the background. And Cap gets on the horse and he starts to fly away. He's like, okay, I'll meet you inside the mountain. And Spider-Man goes, um, you don't suppose I could? And then there's a splash page with Captain America and Spider-Man riding a flying horse in front of a mountain with the northern lights. And Spider-Man is going, woo! And it's just one of the greatest things of all time. And I'm already getting a little choked up. In the next scene, uh, Captain America and the rest of his team are sitting around a conference table. And one of the things that's really fun about this is how Taylor does Iron Fist dialogue. And I think Iron Fist has gotten kind of a raw deal lately. I think the, the Netflix show has turned a lot of people off to Iron Fist. I always thought he was kind of fun. But he, Taylor writes Iron Fist with this sense of naivety, what I think is really nice. Um, so Captain America is saying, our mission is to travel via the Rainbow Bridge to the frozen realm of Jotunheim and rescue Thor from the clutches of the Frost Giants. And Iron Fist says, that's not a mission, something that epic really should be called a quest. Which is just fun. Um, so uh, Captain America asked everybody on the team, he asked Spider-Man and Wolverine and Luke Cage and Iron Fist, are you with me? And Spider-Man says, of course we are. Now, Spider-Man has some internal monologue. All the internal monologue from this is from Spider-Man's point of view. And he says, here's the thing about Captain America. If he asks you to jump, you don't ask how high. You just jump harder than you've ever jumped before. It's very, very nice. So they go to the armory. And um, Iron Fist is looking at some swords. The twin swords of Sprague, all in Jotunheim for their edges. And... Luke is looking at a big old hammer. It says, the hammer of rock. Giants crack like eggs before it's... And Captain America has Logan if he wants a weapon. And Wolverine pops a snick. And he says, no, I'm good. And Iron Man's... Uh, Spider-Man's in the background just messing around with some armor. And Spider-Man says, I don't really want a weapon, Cap. I'm not really in the smiting enemies. And Cap hands him this kind of golden shield. And Spider-Man says, a shield? And you get the, like I said, the close-ups of Cap look really good. Here he's got his hands on his hip, and he's kind of leaning back, and he's smiling kind of sheepishly. And he says, shields can be useful, which is very nice. So Wolverine walks up behind Spider-Man, and he plops his goofy-looking helmet on his head. And he says, here. And Spider-Man goes, what's this? And Wolverine goes, magic helmet. Spider-Man goes, okay. And Wolverine has this grin on his face, like, you know, he's up to shenanigans. Um, at this point, Daredevil has taken the role that Heimdall usually fills on the Rainbow Bridge. 
Um, Heimdall was blinded by the Dark Elves, and so he can't see. So uh, Daredevil has claimed Heimdall's sword, and with it he has cosmic awareness. He can see and hear everything all the time. He's the god without fear now. There is a a spin-off series of this, I think, uh, War Scrolls, and it's like an anthology series. And Daredevil is getting the foreground, the the main storyline of the of the series. It's really good. I'm I'm not a big Daredevil fan, but uh, omniscient Daredevil fighting bad guys in New York is pretty great. So Daredevil queues up the Rainbow Bridge, and they send them all to Jotunheim. And uh, Captain America says, everyone get ready to ride. And Luke Cage says, ride? And Cap says, yes. In the next scene, we have the second grade splash page, which is Cap and Luke and Iron Fist and Spider-Man and Wolverine all on flying horses going across the Rainbow Bridge. And Spider-Man's saying, I am so into this. And Wolverine just looks like he's giving the camera some side eye, like, okay. And Wolverine in this, I should say, looks a lot like Lee Scheiber. The guy, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. The guy who played Sabretooth in the Wolverine Origins movie. Wolverine looks a lot like him, the way Jorge Molina draws him. As they're flying on the Rainbow Bridge, we get another little bit of fun Iron Fist dialogue. He is needling Wolverine and says, you know, we need a name. And Wolverine's like, no, we don't. And Iron Fist says, we should be the four horsemen of peace or the four horsemen who all punch the apocalypse. And, uh... Luke's like, uh, you know, there's five of us, right? And Danny goes, oh. And Luke says, you forgot to count yourself. And Iron Fist kind of looks down sheepishly, says, I forgot to count myself, which is cute. So they get to Jotunheim, and Captain America asks Wolverine, can you track him? And Wolverine says, it's not going to be hard. All we have to do is follow the river of frost giant blood. And Spider-Man leans for it and like, is soothing his horse and goes, easy, buttercup. And Wolverine says, you named your horse? And Spider-Man says, you didn't you? And Wolverine says, I'm just going to call mine horse. And that's when Luke Cage's horse gets shot through with a frost giant arrow. Spider-Man falls off his flying horse. He thwips a web. He he webs the horse. He swings back on top. There's all kinds of frost giants down below. They're shooting arrows at them. Wolverine's horse gets stabbed through with a giant arrow. Uh, He's like, horse! So he, uh, Wolverine flies down and he attacks, not flies down, but he falls down and he attacks the frost giants and Captain America throws a yarn bjorn and cuts off a bunch of frost giant fingers and Luke Cage smashes one with a hammer and, uh, (laughs) so another, uh, frost giant shoots an arrow at Spider-Man, he blocks it with his golden shield. He Spider-Man jumps off. He thwips the horse. He swings down. <laughs> he smashes a frost giant in the face with his shield. And he goes, oh, no, you don't. You are not hurting Buttercup, which I love. Uh, Iron Fist is fighting some frost giants. He's cutting their legs out from under them. Um, and this... <laughs> And this is where, uh, you know, Spider-Man runs over to where Wolverine's stabbing a frost giant in the face. And he's like, Wolverine, what does the helmet do? And Wolverine says, what do you mean? He says, everyone else is using their special things. You said it was magic. 
Wolverine said, how would I know if it was magic? Spider-Man says, why'd you tell me to wear it? It was the most ridiculous helmet I saw there. So he gives him, you know, he says, well, it's got a little shade cover for your neck. We're on a dark ice planet. Pretty funny. Again, Tom Taylor has great, great dialogue. So eventually all the fry giants are dead, but there are also two dead horses. And the horse that Spider-Man was flying bows down, <clears throat> excuse me, getting choked up, to the two dead horses. Uh, Spider-Man goes over and bows to her. Iron Fist is like, you want us to bow to horses? And Wolverine's like, bow. So they all bow down to the horse. And um, I should say that all the internal dialogue is, is like Spider-Man was writing a letter to Mary Jane. Uh, you know, like a soldier at war would to, you know, their significant other at home. And Spider-Man just asks out loud, so are we just going to leave them here? And he hears a voice say no. And he looks up, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's the horse. And uh, Spider-Man says, you're a talking horse. And the horse says, all horses are talking, but I believe the helmet allows you to communicate with us. And Spider-Man says, I guess your name isn't actually Buttercup. And the horse says, I am the Queen Arcturus in your language, the one who means one who gallops through the clouds. And Spider-Man says, oh, that's a nice name. And the horse says, Buttercup was also nice. So, okay. <sighs> Goodness. So this is where Tom Taylor does the most brilliant thing in comics. Tom, Tom Taylor will make you cry and then immediately will make you laugh out loud because Spider-Man's having this really meaningful conversation with the horse. And, but then you see it from everybody else's point of view, and Spider-Man's going, nay, 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 winny, winny, nay. It's really funny. So anyway, excuse me, I have to go uh, powder my nose, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. Um, I should say that this kind of thing gets to me every time. I have watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy at least once a year since 2001 when Fellowship of the Ring comes out and I cannot make it through Fellowship of the Rings without just tears streaming down my face at various points of the movie so you guys will just have to bear with me so anyway um, Queen Arcturus aka Buttercup so she's going to stay with the fallen horses to uh, basically they, they need to be they need to have words of you know, mourning set over them and they're not for human ears. So the heroes head out, they follow the trail of dead frost giants and they find Thor. Um, Thor is in a berserker rage. Now, for those of you who are not reading current Thor, um, at the end of the, uh, that, that series, oh, original sin, the one where the watcher got killed and got his eye gouged out and all that. Anyway, at the end of that, Thor lost his worthiness to wield Mjolnir. Um, it turned out to be a psychological block because he believed, because of events spinning out of his own series, that no gods were worthy. Um, Jane Foster got Mjolnir. She became the new Thor. Uh, Thor started running around with just the axe Yarnborn, and he got... Um, so Thor is not as powerful as he used to be because he's still a more powerful than average Asgardian, but without Mjolnir, he's not super duper extra powerful. So in this story in the Jane Foster series, Thor got captured by a bunch of frost giants and, and Malekith cut off Thor's left arm with Yarnborn. And Thor has had like a series of 
dwarf made mechanical magic arms since then. But in this scene, he's fought the arm so hard that his um, his mechanical arm has gotten ripped off, and he he doesn't have Mjolnir now. Uh, uh, Jane Foster, when she was Thor, had to throw Mjolnir into the sun to defeat the Mangog. Thor's been using a series of replacement hammers that let him fly and let him you know, smash stuff, but none of them are as powerful as Mjolnir. So he's got like this, just a shattered bit of one of his replacement hammers. It's just like a hilt with a little bit of metal on top of it. Um, so, you know, Wolverine says, you know, he's in a ber- berserker rage. I've been there too many times. Uh, <laughs> uh, Luke Cage says, it happened to me once, just the once in Harlem. And Iron Fist says, for me, it was a group of ninjas. And Cap said, I had a particularly bad day with Hitler. It's really good. Um, so they are basically trying to get Thor to stop fighting and go with him, but he won't stop fighting. And there are lots of frost giants coming. And they're like, oh, crap, we're going to get overrun. But then Queen Buttercup Arcturia shows up. And Spider-Man says, you followed us. And Arcturia says, we are of the Ten Realms. If the realm must fall, stallions, mares, and foals will be enslaved. You fight for your kin, I will fight for mine. Let us fight together, noble jester warrior. Which is great. I love uh, Spider-Man being called a noble jester warrior. There is a... um, one of the other three spinoff series, the War Avengers, uh, Deadpool is in that one. And I'm not a Deadpool fan, but every once in a while, somebody writes Deadpool really well. And I think that they end up calling him like Murder Clown or something. So kind of a fun parallel between Spider-Man and Deadpool there. So everybody everybody squares off and they, they fight the Frost Giants. We have... Uh, the dialogue says, In fight we did. There was smiting. So much smiting. Iron Fist punched a giant so hard its head exploded. It was messy. And so, uh, you know, you see Cap jumping at the Fire Giants with his shield and with Yarnborn. And uh, Iron Fist doing the aforementioned exploding. Luke Cage does a fastball special and throws Wolverine. Um... And there's some dialogue after he's killed the Frost Giant. and says, it's like the old saying goes, the bigger they are, the easier it is to get into their skulls and go to the work on their brains. So that's pretty funny. Uh, Spider-Man webs up a Frost Giant's head while he's flying on Octorius and pulls him over. Uh, where Luke Cage does some more smiting. Um, uh, you see a Frost Giant as the tide starts to turn against their favor. Uh, Frost Giant grabs Wolverine and smushes him pretty good, but, you know, of course Wolverine's going to be fine. He says, I saw Captain America fall and not get back up again. That's really powerful. But then uh, but then there's no more fighting. They finally defeated all the Frost Giants. Thor is in his right mind again. But, uh... Whew. So, has been stabbed through with an arrow. And Wolverine gives Spider-Man his helmet back. And Queen Arcturia says, uh, so Spider-Man wants to say some words to comfort her. And she says, you don't know the words. Don't bury me here. Don't let me freeze in the cold ground. We belong in the air. Take me. Take me home with you, noble jester warrior. Whoo, boy. So they do. They take Queen Arcturius back with them to Avengers Mountain and bury her atop of Avengers Mountain. 
and Spider-Man plants his little magic helmet as a grave marker for her, which is really, really nice. So, okay, I'll be right back. Whew, so that is Land of the Giants. Um, I love this. This is the probably single best comic of 2019. Um, like I said, it's epic. It's got great action. It's got great dialogue. But if you're someone like me who loves a punch in the feels, it is right there for it. This is the Lord of the Rings trilogy of Marvel comic books, in my opinion. I absolutely love it. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, if you want another take on this, Jason Venable covered it on the podcast that goes snicked. Uh, when this book was like current as of, you know, like just got off the shelf. So like six months ago, so probably May. Yeah. So definitely go check out that Jason show is amazing. And I just did a guest spot on it a few, a couple weeks ago. So yay me. Um, but yeah, I had a great deal of fun talking about this and I'm sure everyone will get a good chuckle of me getting all misty eyed, but I wear my tears with pride. Um, in fact, I enjoyed this so much that I'm probably going to start adding in relatively current comics to the rotation for Man Out of Time. I'm going to start um, in, with the Mark Wade, Chris Samney Captain America series that came out in 2017, right after the end of Secret Empire. And then I'll go forward from there with the Ta-Nehisi Coates Captain America series and Jason Aaron's Avengers and various Captain America guest appearances like in Miles Morales Spider-Man. Um, so yeah, uh, lots and lots of good stuff. Um, like I said, if you haven't read The War of the Realms, I definitely recommend you check it out. If you haven't read Jason Aaron's other recent work for Marvel since... Um, since Avengers vs. X-Men ended, I highly recommend you check that out. And I highly recommend you check out anything that Tom Taylor is writing. He is just the best, in my opinion. But that does it for the Arctic Adventure special. Um, I hope you guys liked it. I was, able, I was very excited. I was able to get permissions to import some music for the for the intro and the outro. I was going to try to do a full synopsis on the entirety of War of the Realms that I have the access to at the moment, but I unfortunately just did not have time for it. But it had a lot of fun covering Land of the Giants. Um, I would love, 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 love your input on this. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at what would underscore cap do. And you can email me at whatwouldcapdo at gmail.com. I'll be back in early January where I will continue my coverage of early 80s Captain America. We'll be, we'll be starting the J.M. DeMatteis run on Cap, which is great. And again, I'll be jumping back and forth from early 70s Captain America stories to uh, Captain America stories that have come out in the last two or three years. So stay tuned for more of that. Okay, okay, okay. One more thing. Maybe two more things before I go. Um, so I was originally going to drop this on December 21st, the first day of winter. But scheduling conflicts, I can tell we're going to get in the way of that. And I'd rather get it out early than late. So if you're listening to this the day of, it's December 14th. Uh, if not, hey, I dropped this on December 14th. 
but you know next week you know, I've got ballet recitals this weekend and next week school lets out for winter break and on my wife's birthday and PTO meetings and all that other junk so not that my wife's birthday is junk my wife's birthday is wonderful um, but all that other stuff um, so thought it best to go ahead and drop it now while I could um, and like I said, I'm not going to be back until January. I probably won't have time to start recording again until like the 7th of January, maybe. I could be working on the synopsis during the break, but recording is not going to happen until school goes back in, uh, which should make the summer really interesting. But um, so I won't see you guys until I won't talk to you guys till after the holidays. So please do me a favor and be extra kind to each other this time of year. I know that right now it's a very frustrating time for those of us who value the rights and health and general well-being of all people, and if you are listening to this show, I assume you are that kind of person. Uh, if not, please get on that. But anyway, um, so I, I know it's, a, it's just a rough time uh, going around a lot right now, um, and there, even though it's Technically and traditionally a happy time of year. There are some people who are alienated from their families or who are going through a grieving process or maybe are going through some financial straits or just have depression and just have trouble feeling happy when other people are feeling happy. And, you know, sometimes uh, an extra kind word here and there can make all the difference. So do me a favor and be nice to not just each other, my my wonderful listeners, but to folks in general. So thank you so much. And that's all I got. Have a happy holidays and cue the outro. So until next time, let me paraphrase the immortal words of the captain and say... When the gods in the heavens and all the worlds tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like the world tree beside the river of truth and tell all the worlds, no, you move.